<laughs> what is up? Is it better now? Yep, good, good. Jesus, can't switch on the microphone. Like, have eight months of podcasting, bitch. Knock, knock. Who is there, Maya? Oh, it's just a postman bringing me my own merch. Yes, yes, that's right. I've got merch now, guys. I've got merch. I'm gonna tell you every episode. I'm gonna put this, insert this merch ad into my episodes now to get you hyped. The links are down below. On Teespring, if you insert the code, insert the promo code PODBAM, you get 25% off everything and anything. And then on Redbubble, they do bundle discounts. So they just do it for you if you want multiple stickers, if you want multiple shirts. So the initial merch is out there. There's shirts, there's stickers, there's mugs, there's phone cases, there's totes. Everything with either the podcast logo or by all means necessary saying or one motive at a time. Any feedback, again, hit me up via email or on the socials, anywhere you want. Most importantly, actually, hit me up with either the designs you would want or like the changes you would want. But also, what other dumb shit do I say on this podcast? What things do you actually want to see on a shirt? Because I'd love to know and then I can make the merch you actually want to buy. And you're like, yes. <laughs> Yes, bitch, merge me up. So that is the first way of how you can support the podcast. The second way is to find me everywhere. Well, yeah, you know that. I kind of promote that every on every episode. So to follow me on the socials, to find me on Patreon, get some extra episodes. You know all that drill. But I have created a YouTube channel for the podcast as well. So I'm slowly releasing all of the episodes. I'm slowly releasing them as audio episodes, but they have the visuals with the outro music as well. And you know, if the homegirl gets like all skilled with the camera, she might start releasing them in video format. And then you have the visuals and you see me and it's more personal. All that jazz. But for now, the best way to support the podcast is be like Maya. Subscribe to the podcast on every medium that you use. So let's say Apple podcast spotify and youtube and then what you can do is depending on how you're working that day let's say you're on a laptop and you just have youtube in the background because we know you need your background noise you're a true crime addict you need your background noise in that case you mark me as played on spotify and then you listen to me on youtube or you can do it the other way around and it really really makes a difference like it really helps support the show so now that i got that off my chest let's dive into this deep as gruesome fucking story. You're gonna love it! It's Maya, and this is Maltu, so let's just dive straight in. Please, I can never get over this episode. I will never stop. It's just like, it's Maya, and this is Maltu, and I'm a fucking psychopath, please. <laughs> just like, there's no, like, hey, excitement, welcome, this is my first episode. Nope, I am Maya, and I'm a fucking psycho. This is about murder. Like, you don't know me yet. What was my logic? But I just wanted to thank you yet again because I'm covering a serial killer today. And we have just gone so far. And by that I mean in terms of me improving how I cover these cases. Just thank you for not cancelling me with that first episode where I just discussed basically the case of one person while discussing a serial killer. Like he didn't kill multiple people. What was I thinking? I mean, I understand the purpose of like, hey, motive, yeah, it was the first victim, this is where he's the strongest, but oh my god, thanks for, yeah, not cancelling me. Hi, this is by all means necessary, it's a different, <laughs> we changed the name of the podcast since. My name is still Maya, but we are not diving straight in, because, first of all, this fucking episode in itself needs a disclaimer. It's okay if you pass this on. 
If you've watched the previous episodes on like Gary Heinig, you know, any other serial killer, Richard Chase, the guy that fucking ate human's head, you know, Richard Kuklinski that cut people's balls off. Yeah, if you didn't like those in particular, if you don't enjoy those, this serial killer has done it all. Quietly checking out, think about the thing that this person hasn't done. He's like also one of the most famous serial killers, so you probably know where you're going in here. But yeah. If I won't be offended if you skip this one, if you can't handle it, just telling you straight up, don't, don't go in, don't dive into this. That being said, this obviously with the escalations, you know, with how I structured episodes this month, with the escalations and everything, this is quite literally the epitome of what happens when we ignore these crimes. When we ignore crimes when they happen to black people, to homosexual black people, this is the ultimate progression. People get away with it. In Dormer's case, for a really, seriously, really long time. So we are in for a heavy hitter. Just a few minutes before this episode (laughs) recording, I have checked the calendar. I don't like doing it, as you know, because we have had a month this year that had five Mondays, and that came to me as a surprise. So yes, I was very surprised today. I really should schedule this podcast to come out on a different day than I suppose for me not to be surprised by some months having like yeah we have like an extra day here and there remember leap year and all remember how the year is structured the way you want to be structured so yeah you're gonna have two chill episodes after this so this is gonna be heavy hitter and then it's gonna be two chillless episodes no murder well maybe maybe not just chilling conspiracy theorizing you know but as i mentioned because i learned from my past mistakes this also requires shit ton of research, so you're in for a long one. Let me just tell you that straight up. So, as uh, Maya episode 1 would say, let's dive straight into the motherfucker. Oh no, sorry, Maya episode 1 was so polite. Like, let's just drive straight in, okay? Should we, should we drive straight in? <laughs> there is this New York Times article that I've read that is so New York Timesy of them. But basically, they have based this whole article about Jeffrey Dahmer's prom picture. You know how they set you up in the US and, you know, you have that prom picture and his hair was all, like, straightened and shit. And they basically just surrounded the whole story about how he was this prankster, but he was also, like, super awkward and how, yeah, the whole class didn't really notice that he was even there just because he was putting this mask of normalcy of just, like, yep... This is who I am, a bit strange, but nothing weird here. Yeah, don't report me to the police. And that is until July 22nd, 1991. This was when the mask was pulled off, when the men in handcuffs came running out from Mr. Domer's apartment in a Milwaukee neighborhood. Called the police and said that Domer is trying to kill him. 17 other men will not have gotten away. For 13 years, Jeffrey Domer made sure to dispose of the victims' bodies by all means necessary. What were his motives? Before going into this, I think it's important to clarify this, just because I genuinely think I never mentioned it, even though, well, yeah, I had plenty of opportunities, but if you ever kind of Google Jeffrey Dahmer, this is what people classify him as, and that's a product killer. 
So you have people like Richard Kuklinski who truly enjoyed killing, Picton as well, who was all about the thrill, about the process. So those were like process killers. They get off on what they're doing to the victims, like BTK that I haven't covered, like bind, torture, kill. So there's plenty of sickos out there that are all about what they're doing to you once they have you. Domer, not one of those. He was a product killer, so he really just didn't enjoy killing whatsoever. He did not enjoy what he was doing. He was all about the end product, as insane that is to look at people as end product, that's what they were to him. It was all about what he's going to do to them afterwards. Now that that's out of the picture, okay, so we're going into July 22nd, 1991. I put, was it just another day for this police officer? Sure as fuck not. These two police officers must have had therapy for about a significant time in their fucking lives. This is yet again why I'm not one, because the nature of people is so unpredictable. You know, one day you're just doing your job normally, the other day you encounter motherfucking Jeffrey Dahmer. So two police officers come up on the street in this rough Milwaukee neighborhood and there comes Tracy Edwards running down the street in handcuffs. And after him comes this blonde random dude who's just like, <laughs> silly police officers, you know, just trying to play it cool, being like, this is my boyfriend, you know, we are just two homosexuals doing our thing, nothing serious here, but aren't you disgusted that we are homosexuals? That's usually what worked in the past. Can you just let it slide? And they're like, okay, cool, yeah, sure, but let's just actually walk him in, you know, see where this is coming from, you know, see, the con confirm your story, sir. And had they not done this, Jeffrey would have continued his 13 years, it would have been even like a longer of a spree, because he is not the guy that would have just given up without being caught. So they go into his apartment, they're buying his story, but they're just like, first of all, the smell in this place is horrendous. It's like, yeah, yeah, my fish died, it's cool. And then they look around and they see a couple of Polaroid pictures. These are not your cute Polaroid pictures, this destroyed Polaroid pictures for me, you know? I'm like, oh my god, it's a cute Polaroid picture, I'm gonna put it on Instagram and be all cool. Mm -mm. These pictures contained either just people looking dead on the bed or dismembered bodies and different body parts and they're like okay okay jeffrey mm, this is a bit different than what we have previously seen on polaroids and by that point so just picture the scene so they're kind of like in another room checking you know these polaroid pictures and jeffrey is trying to you know pace it towards the door and just like tries to run for it but luckily they stop him they handcuff him and the reign of jeffrey Dahmer is over and what a rain it was. It's actually reported that during this search, Domer has said, I just lost my job and I want to drink some fucking beer, you know? He was just like too cool. Because he knew that it worked in the past and he was like, ah, this is just like yet another thing. Honestly, between that and people actually carrying dead bodies in the trunk of their car and playing it off coolly and getting away with it, I don't know which one is worse. I mean, I think Dahmer wins in any sense of it, just because you'll see what they actually found on the scene here. And then after looking around, one of these officers opened up a fridge and exclaimed, Oh my god, there's a goddamn head in here. He's one sick son of a bitch. Perfect description. Perfect. You, you, can do you don't have to listen to the rest of this podcast. Just summarizing it all. And now... The officers, you know, handcuff him, yep. He goes to the police station and these officers on scene are just like, okay, let's explore this apartment. It is, it does smell foul, doesn't it, Bob? 
Upon searching it, they find a baking soda in the refrigerator that's just absorbing the odors of this severed head and the, that they have screamed at. The freezer had three more heads just because Jeffrey was into fucking packed lunches just on his next level shit. This is how I try to normalize these things, okay? Stop it. I know. I know it's, I know it's disturbing. Now when they thought this was bad, they moved to his bedroom. So they open up the door. And there's a door inside the bedroom, so the door of the closet is locked. They're like, yep, if this was his fridge and freezer, if there's a locked area here, there's nothing good coming out of it. And boy, were they right. So in this closet, they find decomposed hands and a penis. They're just taking in the surroundings, so the shelf above the kettle has two skulls on it. In the closet, they found alcohol, they found different chemicals like chloroform, formaldehyde, with some glass jars where he is storing even more genitalia. So they're like, okay, there's multiple penises here. We're not talking about a guy who, who just struck one victim, which would be bad enough. There's multiple dicks in the jars. Polaroid pictures that are showing again multiple people displayed like in different positions. And that's when kind of that product killer comes into play, because those victims are not alive. They're posing there, they're just kind of posing in either like mannequin positions, so just after the kill, or they are cut open from like the neck to the groin, kind of like you would um, gut a deer, obviously not a professional here, this is what I read. It's like, no, please, Maya, tell them you're not licensed therapist and tell them that you're not a deer hunter every episode, nobody will ever know otherwise. And there are pictures of them online taking out this gallon drum, which is like 57 gallon drum, which again contained several bodies decomposing. So this was his acid drum, for the lack of better words, which is where he used to, well, try to mask the smell of decomposing bodies and just to clean them out of the flesh so he could preserve them as trophies, as ornaments, as whatever the fuck you want to call it. Do you understand how fucking disturbing this is? And I just wish to know who was the first officer on the scene while like observing everything, being like, wait, do those look like bite marks to you, mm, Jim? Yeah? Has he been eating some of his victims? You know, you know all of this flesh in the freezers and, um, you know, th this fridge situation. Has he been dabbling into some eating of human flesh? I just want to know the mindset of, you know, how well that person has slept at night that day. Before we deep dive into his crimes, let's go to the trial. As mentioned, obviously, these crimes involved people who were African-American, who were black. So, at trial, he was actually protected. Well, yeah, that's the best way to say it. It's not like... Or, I mean, who, who the fuck was even protected here? I don't even know. But yeah, he was barricaded by this barrier of bulletproof glass that separated him from, like, the gallery of people witnessing the trial. And people were immediately pissed because there was only one black juror. But then it, the tensions calmed down because they were like, yep, it's not like he's gonna get scot free. Like, he will get a life sentence at least. He's not gonna get out of the prison at all, ever. And even though he pled guilty and like confessed to all the murders during the police investigation, at the trial he was like, whoa, I'm pulling a prank on you again, I'm pulling a domer, like, not guilty. And they were like, the fuck. But then eventually he got where I thought that this was gonna go, and this was that he is gonna be like, yeah, guilty by the reasons of insanity. But then all of these psychiatrists came up and they were like, yep, yeah, he does have borderline personality disorder, he has a schizo personality disorder, 
and a psychotic disorder. But he is saying he knew full well what the fuck he was doing. He was doing it for 13 years. Don't bullshit me with this insanity defense that somebody was insane but still doing the same the same goddamn thing for 13 years. Why did I suddenly go like the hair salon? I was like, don't sell me, don't even try selling me this story, okay? I've heard it a hundred times. So the jury was like, damn right, yeah, he was fully aware, wasn't he? So in 1992, in, um, on February 15th, 1992, they returned after 10 hours deliberation. You just know they were just chilling. They were like, yeah, he guilty, but can we get like some meals out of this? Can we get like a good lunch? They came through with a guilty verdict and uh, he was sentenced to 15 consecutive life terms in prison. And then like in May that year, they added like one other life term. They were like, this is simply not enough. This is the worst thing we have ever seen. But of course, Jeffrey will not be the most popular kid in prison. He was homosexual when it was still, well, taboo. And then obviously the stories preceded him of cannibalism, of, you know, all these souvenirs that people have found. And people were either petrified or they just wanted to hate his guts and just be the person to be famous for getting rid of one of the most notorious serial killers. So on one such occasion, after spending about three years in um, Wisconsin's Columbia Correctional Institution, having done so many media interviews, having been, you know, the star in his own eyes, going back to pulling a dommer, doing his pranks, like spilling ketchup to look like blood all over the canteen. Just typical ridiculous shit because he was still mentally fucking five. The two fellow prisoners that were supposed to be on the janitorial duty that day, so, you know, just clean the toilets, clean everything, kind of just, you know, um, did, like, the oranges don't, like, you know, I every, imagine everything as the oranges in your bag. It's just like, you know, they do a wink to the police guards, like, yeah, leave us, leave us alone for a minute. We, we have to talk to Jeffrey, you know. Police guards like, yeah, sure, of course. How long do you need? Yeah, a couple of hours, yeah? So, Christopher Scarver, that looks like, um... <laughs> couple of my exes because he is black and hot and just comes with an attitude <laughs> just every other tinder guy he's just you know trying to have a casual conversation with jeffrey's like hey jeffrey so you know how you kill black men hmm wasn't that just great for you you know how i am black and taller than you and more intimidating than you yep and well that sudden innocent conversation that i have just invented ended up in scarver bludgeoning domer to death with a steel bar from the piece of this gym equipment. And then he proceeded to attack the other guy just because, you know, why the fuck not? Once you're already attacking one, attack the other, innit, mate? Well, yeah, both of them died and he got more to his prison sentence. But yeah, he was the man that killed Jeffrey Dahmer in prison and Jeffrey died from the wounds on the way to the hospital. He actually, Scarver actually got like 16 years in solitary for the murders. So, in my opinion, it's not worth it. Everything that results in people ending in solitary not worth it, I'm sorry, but like, solitary is just the most depressing fucking thing ever. It, okay, correct myself. If it had books and if I could listen to podcasts, solitary would be perfect, amazing, great stuff. But yeah, without the background noise, mm -mm. And when people ask him like, okay, hey, why, why, why did you kill the man? Like, did you want to be famous for it? He said that the serial killer would taunt the other inmates and he would just play with his food, you know, and they were like, oh my god, he's playing with the food, like, you know, he's just acting out. <laughs> because they immediately in their head they were like, he's a fucking cannibal, why is he playing with canteen food? And then he would just play with food and then he would shape it as different limbs of the body and then pour ketchup all over it to appear like it's blood. 
Clara was sick. There's no, there's no, just, it's, there's no. I mean, am I sorry that he got killed in prison? Fuck no. Scarfer also said that people have left, that the guards have left Domer unsupervised because they wanted him dead, which I also kind of believe. Bizarrely enough, Domer was 34 years old at the age of his death. It's just insane. This was killing since the age of 20. And then obviously afterwards they interviewed his mom and from like what his mom said, which is um, that he was telling her, you know, when she asked like, hey, do you feel safe? So he just said, it doesn't matter, mom. I don't care if something happens to me. He probably had known that something will happen to him. He was not like the most popular kid in the prison. So the mom said like, now is everybody happy? Now that he's bludgeoned to death, is that good enough for everybody? Which I'm like, I, I understand you're a disgruntled parent. But don't be a fucking Karen. Don't be that mom. That's just an enabler. Don't. Just own up to the fact that your son has done some sick shit. You'll hear later about his mom if you don't already know the story. But yeah, the fact that she just said that doesn't fucking surprise me in the slightest. In the slightest. I know that this is not a mood or is setting a mood, but the way that I am behaving right now is such a fucking mood. It's just me on the sofa, sweating in a pool of fucking sweat because it's like 33 degrees here in London. And I'm just sipping on my Coke and JD from a fucking flask that's like a water bottle. So yeah, this is a lifestyle. Now, let's dive into his crimes chronologically. This is gonna be sick. And by sick, I mean sick in a very, very negative way. Wow, my, what are you five? It's like very, very negative. Okay. So just like with my parents, <laughs> just, let's try to relate this, put this relatable to the public. So you know how my parents divorced after like 20 something years of marriage and I was like, the fuck should have done this, should not have wasted about 20 years of your life. But okay, okay. You didn't listen to young Maya. Cool. Chill. Totally fine with it. It's like other pe- other kids get pissed off when their parents get divorced. They're like, oh my god, I'm having trouble. I'm like, why didn't you listen to me when I was seven? God damn it, I was smart. <laughs> why waste your life? I'm pissed off because you wasted your fucking lives with each other. Yeah, different people, different reasons. <laughs> every chance I get, every time I see a divorce settlement, I'm like, hey, so I have a divorce story to tell. I was right. <laughs> This is the lightest moment here. So yeah, his parents got divorced, but he was like a teenager at that point. It was actually just after his high school graduation. And this is when he committed his first kill. So this went unreported until he was caught and then in police custody. He was just like spilling the beans, which is telling them everything about everybody. So he said he picked up the hitchhiker named Stephen Hicks and took him home for a beer. Important thing, this is when Jeffrey was still living at home, so his parents kind of like went for a holiday or whatever, they were separating, so just like, hey, listen, you know, we need a break from this, divorce is hard, so they left house to Domer himself, and of course, a normal teenager does, you know, parties and shit, Domer was not a normal fucking teenager, so he brought Hicks home, he said that they had sex. But then, obviously, the person wants to leave and move on with their fucking life. They were a hitchhiker, they were going somewhere. So Domer smashes the back of his head with this barbell and then strangles Hicks. And this is when he pulls a Gacy where he just first leaves the body in the crawl space under the house. Crawl spaces are just different, they should not exist. If I see a house that has like a crawl space on the porch, I just don't want to cross that. I just don't. I don't trust you that well. I don't trust anybody that well, not to fucking doubt in your crawl space. He cut him into pieces and stored him into garbage bags. 
this kind of tells you straight up something about Domer because he is a teenager here. Like he literally just graduated from high school. And his first thought of after killing, like having his first kill, is let's cut him up. I mean, in general, like when somebody comes to me, you know, like Caesar Sisters had that dismemberment of the body. Every time someone's general first thought in like, hey, I killed somebody, is cut them into pieces and this is your first kill. You just know, you, you are not, you're just gonna escalate. There's no de-escalation from this. You have just reached another level. So he'd go, he'd go even further because he would then remove the bones, smash them into powder and dissolve the flesh with acid. And yes, even though I've done that first episode like super shittily, I still think like the first kill does say the most about the motivations behind this and the most about like, well, who the person will end up being, how will they escalate. And you already think when you read this, like this cannot get much worse. Like he already was technically doing everything, disposing of the body, dismembering the body, like putting, like, putting it into acid, separating the bones from the flesh, like how can it get any worse? So he buries the bones only to dig them up and crush them and just scatter them into this ravine behind the parents' house. And again, he's in these interviews, like I'll probably play some of it. He's just like so cool, calm, collected, telling this as if it's like, yep, the parents just left me the house and this is my typical thing that I do when my parents leave me the house. There's just no commotion like, okay, this is a thrill. I'm having a thrill, like, you know, I'm having a high from my first kill. Because again, the kill was not a thing for him. It was everything he has done afterwards. That's why, you know, even when he buried like the bones and everything from Stephen Hicks, he had to come to it. He had to come back to it. He had to like redispose, relive this. Which tells you that that will not be enough because he couldn't actually just, yeah, now go, what, like when his parents come back, go back to the yard and just like relive it and play with the bones. He couldn't do that. So he had to have his base. And well, his next temporary base was in Milwaukee when the parents kind of just, you know, after this divorce, they're like, yeah, go live with your grandma. Grandmas have seen some shit, I'm not gonna lie. Remember when Richard Chase was sent to grandma's house and he was just like putting oranges on his head and spending some time in a handstand during the day and the grandma would just be like, yep, just Richard, just another day for Richie. Man, thinking about my great-grandma, grandmas are too trusting, you know? She was just always like, yeah, Maya will know the best. And then this was Jeffrey's grandma as well. She's like, I don't doubt it for a second. Also, I am old. I'm not going down to the basement to see what he's doing, which obviously allowed Jeffrey to live his best life in this basement. This is also the period when his MO developed. So sometimes, yes, Jeffrey would pull a guy, let's say that, because he was not bad looking in this age. Okay, this is a controversial opinion, okay? But Jeffrey Dahmer was in his young days, the hottest serial killer, okay? <laughs> hottest The hottest of all the serial killers I have seen, okay? Mm, controversial opinion. Yep, there's more coming. <laughs> he was a geek, okay? I like geeks. And I like blondes when it came to white guys. And then I was like, mm, black guys are the thing. Okay, doesn't matter. So yes, sometimes he would just lurk around these bars, these gay bars. And then sometimes it would be like, yep, I'm gonna pull a guy. He's gonna come sleep with me. But more often... He kind of took a more distant approach. I think he was more comfortable with it. He would offer these young teenage boys like either beer or money or both to pose nude while he took photographs. And he always looked for a completely submissive person. So somebody who was just going to do whatever he asked. 
asked them to do so obviously when these boys would come pose you know and then want their money or beer want to leave that's when he would get aggressive so as many serial killers he actually found that he enjoyed military so after you know his parents got divorced he was like okay cool i'm gonna go to uni and then after a month at uni he was like uni ain't for me fuck this shit i'm gonna go to military so in 1980 he started training to become a military police officer but was then transferred and had like a six-week course to become a medical specialist which is kind of like the equivalent of a nurse at military which nurses see bodies you see where this is going so it involved screening patients and i just love that we have this fact so while he was stationed in germany serving the military he decorated his room with a heavy metal rock band Iron Maiden. Now I put into the script. I bet all of these bands want nothing to do with this kind of fame. Or in the case of Gary Hiding, they do. So yeah, they probably sometimes do. They're like, no, no, this is red. We're a metal band. We love serial killers loving us. And obviously during his time in military, there were always speculations like, what is Jeffrey doing? You know, two soldiers actually came forward with claims that they had been drugged and raped by Dahmer. But then people were like, mm. you know, even today, man, look at like Vanessa Glenn. What's her name? Look at that whole fucking cover up from like the military that we are having today. But there's just women disappearing and these officers abusing and nobody fucking believes you and everybody sticks to protect each other. So yeah, that was pretty much in its roots back then as well. But finally, obviously, the military is like, okay, cool. Yeah, we trust you, we trust you, but we're going to dis- discharge you. And they discharged him under chapter 9 of the Code of Military Justice. And this is a section that covers drug and alcohol use by the army personnel. So they're like, okay, cool. Yep, you're getting scot free. You know, we're going to ignore these rape claims. But yeah, we're just going to be like, yeah, you were just boozing on the job. Typical. Typical. I put, was he still hot or not? Like, if you were to play hot or not game, okay? I know all of you were going to go for Bundy. Fuck off. Just educate yourself on young serial killers, okay? Richard Ramirez. Young Richard Ramirez was the shit before he lost his everything but his cheekbones and became just a a fucked up person. But yeah, let's continue with these controversial opinions, my freak. Now that he is back from the military, he's broke as fuck. So he gets a job at the Ambrosia Chocolate Factory. He's earning like nine quid an hour. There's also like an event from this period that kind of everybody mentions and obsesses with. And it's that during this time was when he also hid in like a department store overnight. (laughs) Which, yeah, sounds like a really cool thing. It's like, oh, what can you try? You can try so many outfits. You know that this is not why this guy was there. He stole a mannequin from it, a male mannequin took it home and then this article says related to it in a sexual way. I love the articles written from this period. It's just like he fucked a mannequin, okay? Well, I just say it for what it is. I don't know if I ever told a story on this podcast, okay? Personal fairy godmother corner. Let's do it. When I lived in the halls in Bristol at uni, (laughs) there's like this group of friends for my birthday because I was always like the pervy one, you know, Herbert the pervert, pulling some pervy jokes without and releasing any sexual tension, obviously. So my, like, friends out, like, jokes. (laughs) This is not... I just realized that nobody else is gonna take this as a joke and you're actually gonna think that I was doing things with a sex doll, but I was not, okay? Believe it or not, I don't care what you believe. So yeah, they got me, like, this sex doll (laughs) as a joke. And obviously Maya taking it to the next level. Not that next level. Okay, Jesus, this story is getting worse by a minute. When I went when I went home for Christmas holidays, I left that fucking 
I left the fucking sex doll lurking out of the window. <laughs> and then when I came back, the sex doll was on the floor. And I was like, well, this sex doll didn't have legs to move by itself. <laughs> what the fuck happened there? And then the warden like pulled me into her office and she was like, you didn't by any chance leave like a sex doll. <laughs> Freaking out everybody passing by this hall. I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Just in a day's work, you know, like the police officers and what they were finding on these scenes and then that fucking poor warden was like, had to do the duty of just going into somebody's room, unlocking it, taking a sex doll that somebody put as a prank and then, yeah, removing it from the window from freaking out everybody passing by the student hall. So yeah, his poor grandma found this mannequin. <laughs> And boy, I don't know how people... People just hushed everything up. They just didn't talk about things like this, yeah, in the 80s. And yeah, they just didn't. So he just threw it away. He's like, it's cool, grandma. It's just it's a silly mannequin, okay? I'll throw it away, grandma. I'll do better, okay? Then, at the age of, like, 26. So he basically didn't kill... His first kill was in 78. And then he didn't kill until, like, 87. And now you're wondering again, how the fuck did somebody keep his everything, his intentions, his crazy things... Especially considering what first murder was like. For like 11 years, he didn't do fuck all. Well, I mean, he was kind of fucking mannequins and shit. And, you know, people in the military, so probably was kind of like, hey, maybe I'm a process killer. And then he was like, no, I want a dead body. But also, what other thing prevents killers from committing murder? They're, yeah, dead sometimes. But yeah, the other times, they are usually serving a prison sentence. So yes, Dahmer did that as well. So he was arrested after he was caught masturbating in front of a 12-year-old boy on the banks of this river. Okay, this river's name is not a word. It literally has, like, no vowels. Kinikinik River. Yeah, how do you name a river like that? <laughs> so he was charged with disorderly conduct and sentenced to one-year probation. So again, just like with everything else you're reading here, and then once you learn about his childhood, as with every single one of those serial killers, all of these could have been prevented. Have people, well, known about serial killers, known about all of these triggers, and you know, hey, what means what? Maybe these kind of things should have been treated with more sentences, like, you know, harsher sentences. Okay, we are now in 1987, November of it, when Domer brings a guy named Stephen Walter Tuomi, who was 25, when Domer brought him to this rented hotel room at the Ambassador Hotel in Milwaukee. And Domer actually blacked out here, he didn't remember the actual kill, so he just woke up and like Tuomi's body was just next to him. So he got a large suitcase and then transported Tuomi's body to his grandma's basement, where he dismembered it, masturbated on the corpse, just before disposing of all of his remains. As I mentioned before, stop desecrating people's bodies. That was a trigger in Richard Chase's case. It's definitely a trigger here. He would kill two other victims in his grandma's basement until she got tired of his drunk behavior, him returning home late. She wasn't clued up on what he was actually doing to the victims and to the people. Nor did she realize that those people are not coming out of that flat alive. Which this would never happen in the Balkans, okay? Our grandmas are nosy as fuck. They might believe that, you know, you like in my case, they're like, mm, she might be a lesbian, but we're not questioning <laughs> So yeah, they might not want to question that, but they will know if the person came out alive or not. In year 1988, Domer met James Edward Doxtetter, 
who was only 14 in front of this gay bar in Wisconsin. There's a couple of these gay bars that are famous for, well, that Domer famously visited. So here Domer pulled his old ammo, it's okay, yeah, let's come with me, let's pose for some nude pictures. And this is when Domer kind of like realized what his actual thing was, what his kink was, and that was not to have fun with people when they're alive. So he strangled him and kept his body in the basement for a week before dismembering him and before like discarding the remains. Again, with these first victims, no remains were ever found. As sickening as that is, you know how people are like, ah, oh, the perfect crime doesn't exist. Well, pretty much, there's a lot of people out there proving it, that it does. Especially in like all of the disappearances cases, when it's like, yep, there's no fucking trace. What have you done here? And like, how is somebody from the get-go this good? Only two months later, so in March that same year, he drugged Richard Guerrero again... This was like a hotel situation, then he brought the dismembered body to the basement, where he just dissolved it into, like, his flesh into acid and disposed of the bones in the trash. And here is kind of like shaping of Domer, because with this one, he would bleach and retain the skull for a couple of months before disposing of it. And I think in, like, his head, this is kind of like when he wanted to leave that basement as well, because now he finally realized, like, he is into, well, doing disturbing shit to the bodies after their death, keeping these trophies, and he kind of needs a space to do it, which, you know, doesn't risk the grandma coming and being like, there's a skull in my basement, Jeffrey, what's that all about? In September that year, so again, it's like this escalations after escalations, Domer has, like, a super lucky escape. So he was encountered by this 13-year-old Laotian, Laotian boy, the person from Laos, okay? And he gets charged for sexual exploitation and second-degree sexual assault. He pleads guilty and he just claims that the boy just appeared to be much older than he was. It's like, how much older can a 13-year-old boy appear, Jeffrey? While he's waiting for the sentencing on this case, he's just using his grandma's basement again. He's just fucking with the police now. They could literally have done just a welfare check now, but no. This is the last victim he has brought to his grandma's basement and his first black victim. His name was Anthony Lee Sears. He was only 24 years old. And as I mentioned previously, with the previous kill, he was like, yep, I'm kind of into preserving skulls and into preserving trophies. So with this one, he actually preserved the skull and then would bring it like as a souvenir to his next flat. Oh, he also preserved the genitals. So Sears was an aspiring model, so obviously Jeffrey got him into that basement with a pretext of modeling of, you know, nude shots. And then he drugged him, strangled him, sodomized him, just photographed him mostly when he was dead, and dismembered and disposed of his body, everything except the parts that I mentioned. Now, we go to that trial. Remember that trial thing? Yeah. So his defense argues that he needs treatment, not incarceration. He's a good boy. He's so young, right? And the judge is like, I see it. I agree. So they give him a slap on the motherfucking wrist. He gets one year in prison with a day release, which means that, yeah, he can go to his job in the Brochure Chocolate Factory during the day and return to prison at night. And then gets, like, five years probation. This is important because, obviously, afterwards you would speculate, well, then, during that probation, what the fuck, was he not just being checked up on 
with a probation officer and he actually was but would kind of just be like hey just a check you know yep you're good you're good like because of where he moved he moved into like a super dodgy neighborhood so this probation officer wasn't like super keen on coming to visit him either and years later his dad lionel actually said that he wrote to the court and asking them to request like psychological help for his son but Dahmer was just granted an early release after serving only 10 months of his sentence. So then he goes back to grandma and grandma is like, I can't deal with this shit no more. And he moves into his own apartment. So now if you've been, you know, if you're still with me, if you're still following, as I mentioned, the span was 13 years, but he kind of didn't kill for 11, which makes the math kind of like, yep, he actually killed 70 people in about two years span, if we are doing the math correctly. So with a move to 213 Oxford Apartments, within less than a week, you know, people have housewarming parties, they bring on friends, not Jeffrey. Jeffrey knew exactly what he rented that apartment for. First victim he killed there was Raymond Lamont Smith. And Smith was a male sex worker, which Domer encountered like at this bar in town. Again, as usual, Domer gives him like this drink laced with sleeping pills and then strangles him and then does what he does with the body. Here with the skull, he's kind of experimenting. He spray painted his skull and then retained it. And this is the one where he gets weird, okay? Yep, this is when it gets weird. <laughs> Everything else, chill. This is when it gets weird. With this one, people kind of speculate why has he done this? Because after a year of the kill, he called the sister because basically, well, obviously nobody would find these bodies. But here he spoke to the guy and the guy kind of like told him about his family. So a year after, Jeffrey calls his sister, yep, his sister, the guy's sister, and tells him that, yep, he's behind the kill. And obviously back in the day they couldn't trace this shit, so this meant nothing, which kind of was just like, well, closure to the family. But everybody's speculating, like, why do this? If you are just a product killer, like, this doesn't matter to you. Like, you've never done it before or after this. Then, 1990 is a busy year, okay? We're still there. It's June. It's literally a month away from this. Which I don't think anybody mentions. Not, like, how he spaces them out. But rather how he does all of this as if, like, somehow professionally. As much as he's a product killer, what I'm thinking of here is, like, he doesn't actually spend that much time with these bodies, like, you know, putting them to acid, preserving them all takes time. Like, he's not into committing to one corpse. Something I've never thought I will say on this podcast yet again. Jeffrey just wasn't a loyal hoe, okay? So, June, uh, the victim is Edward Warren Smith. And he was a known acquaintance of Domer, who was just last seen at a party in his company. This is the one where he kind of is now experimenting to the next level with the skull when he gets pissed, because he puts the skull in the oven. Fuck knows what his problem is at this point and why he does this as an experiment, but the skull explodes. And now he's like, well, what the fuck do I do with the damaged skull? So he's like, great, a waste of a person in his head, right? And then he's like, yep, let's need to get another one. And this is kind of when the tenants start complaining in that block. They're like, there's just foul smell coming from his flat. And, you know, they kind of knock, ask him what the fuck is that all about. He's like, yeah, I just had a fish. Just a fish died in this aquarium. Like, that does not smell like fish, but sure, yeah. So they rig up the landlord. He just tells him the exact same excuse. And the landlord's like, cool, cool, cool. Just clean that fish tank, okay? So September 2nd. 
Tomer met his next victim, Ernest Marquez Miller, who was 22 years old, like outside a bookstore. And this is weird, because this is the only insight that we have about Domer. This is the only victim he found, like, actually physically attractive. So he was like, hey, I quite like how you look alive. This is weird for me, I know. But yes, obviously, if he liked how he looked alive, he liked it even better how he looked dead. So this is the victim where he specifically preserved, like, different body parts. I'm talking, like biceps, hard portions of his legs that were particularly attractive to him. And um, this is when the cannibalism started. With this one, he made, well, a mistake in his eyes because he cut his throat. He cut the victim's throat, so he thought, like, that was too messy, that was, again, too much hassle. You know, he's not all about the kill, he's just about the aftermath. September that same year, David Courtney Thomas encountered Dahmer near the Grand Avenue Mall. And again, Dahmer promises him money for posing nude, he gets into his apartment, he laces his drink. And this is so sad, but Dahmer about this guy said that he was ugly, he wasn't his type. Then why Dom? It just literally does not matter to him. He just wants somebody submissive, he just wants to kill. It does not matter to him. But then you gotta think, how come like 90% of his victims were black? Like if it really didn't matter to him, then why? Because that's so weird for me. Like, you have 13 people, well, by the end of it. So why, how come 90% of them are black? So, as mentioned, but just to kind of describe it in even further gruesome fucking detail, his MO was he would spike the drinks with sleeping pills, usually. He would strangle the bodies and then just cut them up with this electric buzzsaw. Then he would discard the bones he didn't want in this drum that we spoke about. Then he would line up the skulls in the shelf of his apartment, but only after spraying them with his gray paint, which again, out of everything, I'm like, whatever, man. All in a day's work, right, Jeff? Right. So I think this for him was like to fool if he was ever to have any friends or, you know, it's so sad. Yeah, if he was to ever have anybody around be like, yeah, these are just plastic models. Or I mean, yep, if he was to bring a person and they're still sort of semi-conscious, that was his game plan. Then he take pictures of the corpses and dissolving like of their flesh and bones. Sometimes he would take like skulls in the sink, pictures of those. And then there were clear escalations. So we came to cannibalism. You think it can't get any worse? Yeah, you, you check up on that in a couple of minutes. I love this article. It was like, he dabbled in cannibalism. Like it's a uh, fucking poker. So like, oh, he dabbled here and there. He had a poker night. It's like he ate human flesh. Like, there's no dabbling for fucking Jeffrey Dahmer. He committed to it fully. It's not like... You know, my YouTube career, which might end, like, tomorrow. It's like, how she dabbled in it? No, this is a fully fucking committed job for this guy. So, 1991. Domer approached Curtis Darrell Strother while he was waiting at a bus stop. He again lured him into his apartment and then handcuffed, strangled him um, before dismembering him in a bathtub. And again, this was, like, his first known cannibal victim, although people speculated it was the guy that was the victim before. This is now clear escalation, so this is not enough for Jeffrey. So in April 7th, say April 7th, he meets Errol Lindsay, who was only 19 years old. This is his first love zombie. Now you're like, the fuck is love zombie, man? That's not like a term people use. <laughs> no, in the world of Jeffrey Dahmer, that's a term. So he would describe this to the investigators as a drilling technique. 
So he started drilling holes into the victim's skull, for which he would then inject hydrocholic acid, because he had plenty of it. He had plenty of this fucking acid. Lindsay here, though, because it was his first time, right? We all suck at our first times, except Jeffrey kind of somehow didn't. Lindsay actually woke up during this practice, and he kind of was like, hey, yeah, I'm just feeling sleepy. And then Dahmer, like, put him down again and just actually strangled him to death. Now, May that year, he meets Tony Hughes, and Tony was a deaf mute, but still, Dahmer manages to lure him into the apartment for, like, with the promises of nudes. And this is so weird, but he went, like, the effort here. He actually communicated with this guy via, like, handwritten notes, because he was a deaf mute. But yep, still, that didn't matter to him. Like, the effort was worth it, well, in Dahmer's eyes. So he still made him unconscious, dismembered him, photographed the dismembering process, retained the skull. Same good old. There is still so much to this, like, this is an insane episode. So in May that year, something weird happens. (laughs) I should really stop saying this shit. Jeffrey meets a younger brother of the victim that he assaulted in 1988. So he meets Conorak Sintamsomson. And now he was so comfortable that once he drugged Konarak, injected, you know, this acid into his brain and just left him in the flat, he just went, you know, to get some beer. And when he returned, he discovered that he was, this guy was naked and disoriented on the street. And there were, like, women trying to, like, assist him. If you wanted to ever hear about the worst moment for any fucking police department, but especially for Milwaukee police. So there was this woman, Sandra Smith, who was a black woman in the neighborhood, and she was just, like, concerned as fuck. Because there's this guy who is just completely disoriented on the streets, completely naked, probably fucking bleeding everywhere. And she's just calling 911, trying to get him help. The police officers come. And they're like, huh, what seems to be the problem? And you can see, like, Domer coming with his beer from down the road. He's like, silly you, you know, and this is just like just a couple squirrel. <laughs> He's just on the streets. I'm gonna bring him back to his flat. He has just been drinking. He's just so disoriented. I'm gonna take care of him. And the police officer is like, silly, yeah, of course, of course, Domer, you do that. And these women are desperately trying to object. They're like, no, there is he's bleeding from his anus like what the fuck are you on about so the officers told them to shut the hell up and butt out of this domestic dispute and there was like even an audio recording of these officers talking to the dispatcher afterward revealing that like joking about his lovers before heading back to the station so obviously once two months afterwards like the authorities discovered that this could have been prevented two months earlier They were like, okay, cool, yeah, you two are fired, but guess what? They returned to their posts, and they were named the Officers of the Year. I got, I got with this case, I got. Also, had they just used common sense, four lives would have been saved, because during those two months, Jeffrey killed four more people. Before moving on to the finale, or so inappropriate to say finale, before moving on to Jeffrey Dahmer's last four victims, Again, this is just my opinion, but it's just because, obviously, deep diving into this case, plus, like, all the other heavy hitters. I'd love to discuss what you think about Jeffrey and his way of getting these victims. Because I don't think Jeffrey was a charmer. I definitely don't think he got all these victims based on his looks. Some of them, yes. And despite, obviously, of me saying, like, yeah, Jeff was hot, he was hot compared to, like, I don't know, 80% of serial killers, but that's still 
80% of serial killers. That's not like normal population. They have evil in their eyes, okay? So yes, he was better looking than 80% of serial killers. Good job, Jeff. What the success of a day. But I didn't say this take in particular. I think that Jeffrey applied the product healer even in the way that he was actually choosing the victims and in the way that he was getting them willingly to get into his apartment. Okay, hear me out, personal story. But it actually happened today and I was like, oh my god, it all connected. Just desperately trying to find a relatable point in this case. Just literally, two hours ago, I went to get my haircut, first haircut after a very long time, not even quarantine. Anyways, doesn't matter. But what you don't know about me is that I don't really comb my hair. I mean, when I say really, there's knots in there, okay? There's knots, there's dreads. I am every hairdresser's nightmare. So, I know because <laughs> how they react every fucking time and how happy they are once I fucking leave the place and they're just hoping, praying that I never come back. This time, I walk into the salon and I'm like, listen, do you have a slot? She's like, yeah, she all looks all happy, like, woo, you're giving me a job. I'm like, <laughs> I had my hair in a ponytail and I was like, listen... Let me just tell you straight up, I'm every hairdresser's nightmare. And she just probably looked at me like, do I beat hairdressers up? Like, what the fuck does this bitch mean? So I showed her the hair, I was like, there's gonna be knots, okay? It's fine. <laughs> I'm just telling you straight up, you will get pissed off with me. I will do my jokey bit, you know, I'll try to make you laugh while you wash my hair and push it out of conditioner and try to comb these knots out. But listen, you will hate me by the end of this. And that way, she immediately knew what she was dealing with. She's like, okay, cool, yep. And it exactly went that way, you know. I was like trying to, you know, make it laugh. I was like, yeah, this is the point when people usually start hating me. Yeah, this is it. And then by the time we reach the chair, like, they just pretty much want me gone. And yeah, it exactly developed that way. <laughs> so to tie that into the story, what our boy Jeffrey did here is that he knew exactly what worked. He went and he was like, listen, wow, you look good, like what a greatly sculptured body. I somehow happen to be a photographer, you know, not saying that I'm like super skilled or anything, but yeah, I just have this camera and you could model for me and you know, you have such an aspiring modeling career before and it's exactly that, you get down to business straight away. I don't think this is talked enough about, like everybody just focuses on his modus operandi and how everything escalated, but I'm like, but let's think about how can we prevent somebody getting you to even willingly get into somebody's flat. I often actually thought about that when it came to like Tinder profiling and stuff. The online dating and everything. Like how do some people actually get people like to straight up go to their home? Because they have a way and they have established that way in the past and they know it works and they know that it will get them straight what they want. And I'm like, but you, there's nothing, there's nothing special about these people. They just know how to work it better than you do. Wow, controversial statements in this episode just keep rolling on. Now let's go back to this fucking story. I literally just had to have a break. I'm like, there's four more victims. This is truly some criminal mind shit. Like, I still to this day can't believe that this actually happened in like real life. And it's not just some fake crime shit. Later, when Domar was asked about like this exposing of the body and how he was preserving them, he said, It was my way of remembering their appearance, their physical beauty. If I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I at least could keep their skeletons. It's like, we spoke about it, Jeff. You need to work on your small dog, Jeff. It's like, we just asked you how you're doing, Jeff. What the fuck is this that you just offloaded? 
just I cannot imagine his small talk at work while he was most of the time he was actually still working at the Ambrosia chocolate factory until he was actually fired. He actually kept temporarily, I forgot now which victim it is, but one of his victim's skeletons at like a um, locker at the Ambrosia chocolate factory as well. Just nothing, no like fear somebody's gonna discover it. I cannot imagine this guy's day-to-day -day life how he just continues having his job like it's nothing he small talks so oh, let's talk about the weather how would he answer questions like oh what are you doing after work jeff just gonna play with my zombie like people in the room oh that's just our boy jeff you know how he is going around talking about these zombies things that he keeps in his flat silly jeff just another day He's last year of killing. Are we ready for this? Nobody ever is. So he meets Matt Cleveland Turner, who was only 20 years old, and he meets him at the Chicago Pride Parade. So he actually gets him again. Charming, charming fucking man. He's like, yep, let's accompany, like, come with me to Milwaukee to just pose for a photo shoot. I just find it so sad that all of these people were just going into a fucking flat with a guy, like, from different states as well. It's just, you're in Chicago, I mean, Chicago versus Milwaukee, which one is better? Yeah, that's a debate <laughs> for you guys to debate in my fucking inbox. And from what I read, so he followed his usual MO, and then he kept, like, the torso for, um, of the victim and placed it into that gallon that the police was taking out of his flat, so the gallon full of acid. But he really enjoyed the men's torso out of like all of this. That's sort of like the last thing that he would dispose of. So he enjoyed that like sort of in, in a flesh and then while there were corpses. That's just some things you learn listening to last podcast on the left, you know. Now, all of the last figures happened in July. Like, this is insane. July 5th, he meets Jeremiah Weinberger. This is, again, at a gay bar in Chicago, and this guy agrees to accompany him to Milwaukee. Here, he kind of strays away from his M.O., because Weinberger was actually alive for, like, a whole day. Dahmer actually, like, slept with him, and it's not until Dahmer indicated that he wanted to leave, when Dahmer was like, yep, again, no, that's a trigger, nobody fucking leaves me. Serious attachment issues, serious fucking ex attachment issues. Like, he's the guy, if he ever had a normal relationship, he would be the one to be like, yeah, if you leave me, I'm gonna go and commit suicide. That's like the most normal Domer would have ever gotten if he ever had like a normal fucking human relationship. And this is truly like, instead of acid, now he experimented with injecting boiling water into his head. So he does that, and he had actually re later recalled that his death was exceptional because he was the only victim who died with his eyes open. I don't get it. So with this one, he kind of actually held on to it longer. So he kept his Weinberger's decapitated body in the bathtub for a week before he dismembered it. July 15th, so only a few days later, he meets Oliver Joseph Lacey. This guy was 24 and he was a bodybuilding enthusiast. Dahmer obviously, again, enticed him to the apartment. He was like, yep, I'll give you money, you know, great body. Let's pose for some nudes. And his head and heart would later be found by the detectives in the fridge. You know, remember when they screamed? Yeah. Dahmer's last victim that he lured was on July 19th. So that was Joseph Arthur Braithaft. Um, he was a father of three children from Minnesota and he was just looking for work in Milwaukee. 
at the time of his murder. And here he, like Domer, actually again left this guy on his bed like for two days before he started the decomposition process. And this is also one of the heads that they have found in the fridge and the torso in the gallon. Guys, we went through it. Guys, we are almost there. We are done with the murders part, now we are going into his background. Just to understand what made Jeffrey who he was. Was it something defining? Like, or was he just one sick son of a bitch? So, Domer was born to Lionel and Joyce Domer. He was described as this like energetic, happy child until the age of four. Very early he became super depressed. No, kidding. So, so. he had a surgery to correct his double hernia. And this seemed to have changed the kid. So he had problems with hernia and like it had to result in the surgery. And this is when he got super withdrawn. It didn't actually help that like his parents were that kind of like those kind of parents that they thought like, yep, let's not just have like super emotional relationship with a kid. I mean, you could technically say that Jeffrey was neglected and this was only enhanced with the birth of his brother. So sort of to show him the love or whatever, it's like, yeah, we're not neglecting you. They ask him to choose the brother's name. So he does. He names his brother David, which is like, cool. Yeah, David Domer, right? Cool name. Also, I'm kind of surprised that this is not when his pranks would have started and he named him something like Gertrude and shit and the parents just allowed it. Yeah, the family kept appearances, but his mother, yeah, remember his mom? Well, she kind of had like extreme anxiety, she would attempt suicide, she would try overdosing on pills. So it's immediately like from the get-go, kind of Jeffrey felt like A, neglected and B, like, yeah, nobody wants him, like my mom wants to fucking die rather than take care of me. And Joyce would demand constant fucking attention, just like me, right? <laughs> but listen, you you have kids, you actually can't fucking do this. This is again why I don't have kids. But she was one of those people who'd be like, oh my god, Lionel, you have to put me in front of everybody else, okay? Fuck these children. Like, I'm here suffering from depression. It's like, I've been working the whole day. I'm here, okay? But when it comes to the passion or like his knowledge of, you know, submerging bodies into essay, that really came from his dad. The fascination, his dad actually describes that the fascination kind of came from, he was once like when Jeffrey was really small, clearing these like bones from like the animals, like strayed insects or whatever the fuck. It was also creepy as shit. And Jeffrey was just there like standing and be like, hmm, hey dad, those are bones, aren't they? And his dad said like he was oddly thrilled by the sound that the bones have made. And since then kind of became just fascinated with animal bones. So he would decapitate dogs before like nailing the dog's corpse to a tree later in life. But it's with his dad that he actually like had these conversations and he's dead because he was a scientist. So his dad just thought like, oh my god, my son is showing like the healthy interest, you know, and be like, hey, dinner talk. And the mom is there like fucking having a hissy fit. So his dad is obviously just like, yes, son, what questions do you have? Oh, how do you separate flesh from bones? Yeah, I'll tell you, this is a completely normal question a four-year-old should be asking. I put in the script that this is where asking for a friend comes from. Jeff's just like, huh? It's like my 40-year-old friend is super disturbed. He just asked me this question. So I just want to, you know, answer it for him. Just asking for a friend. (laughs) The next lines in the script are just big. By the early teens, he was... (laughs) He was disengaged, tense, and largely friendless. So far, just how I like them. (laughs) 
It's like trying to relate to this is next level. Okay. Also, I just love for every single professor, like teacher that gave quotes after, you know, they're just like, oh my god, I'm getting interviewed for, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, he was like a super popular kid at our school. I always imagine, like, why do these fucking professors and teachers just say something? And they're like, yeah, I was expecting him, like, from the beginning. Like, why didn't you say so? Like, why didn't you prevent this shit? So, due to this neglect and him just not having fucking zero healthy interest, it's like his father is like, no, my boy doesn't have no hobbies, but he knows which acid works on the body. Like, that's not normal, fucking idiot. So, he started drinking from a fairly early age, like, early teens. And he, like, when the professor would ask him, like, oh, Jeffrey, what are you doing? He would just be like, this is my medicine. (laughs) I love how he thought, like, he sounded so rad. He was in a boy band in high school, and he played intramural tennis. Does that sound normal to you? (laughs) No, as in, like, is it a tennis that's inside? Is that what intramural means? And this is when doing a domer comes into play. So this is when, you know, Jeffrey's a bit of a prankster. So he would just sneak into the pictures, like, into the societies that he wasn't a part of. Or he would, like, fake seizures in the classroom corridors. And just generally try to scare everybody the fuck out. And his alcoholism escalated to the point that he would just bring liquor into school and then just keep it in his locker. And just silly Jeff, one of his famous pranks was to sneak into the honor society photograph. (laughs) This fucking guy was such a nerd. He was like, if I can't have the grades, I'm gonna sneak into these grades. Damn right. It was also during this time that he realized he was gay. And he became, like, fixated on, well, raping what he saw and just became aroused by the idea of completely dominating another person. So before going on to the motive, these are some selected quotes, as you wish, from Jeff Dahmer. I think in some way I wanted it to end, even if it meant my own destruction. Super deep, Jeffrey. In response to the question, do you love your grandmother? Yep, she's lived in that house a long time. Really? <laughs> really? She tolerated your fucking ass, Jeffrey. So put some respect to your grandma's name. And truly why this is so scary is like, when you've done the types of things I've done, it's easier not to reflect on yourself. When I start thinking about how it's affecting the families of the people and my family and everything, it doesn't do me any good. It just gets me very upset. Like, there's just no emotion to you, mate. But this is the one where I found interesting. He says, I don't think I'm capable of creating anything. The only thing I'm capable of is destroying. I'm sick and tired of being destructive. What worth is life if you can't be helpful to someone? So, let's discuss the motives. Okay, first of all, I'm gonna kind of like outline my own, but then I have like stuff from the trial, obviously, because there's a lot of details in Jeffrey Dahmer, if you haven't realized so far. I put as like my personal phase, yeah, my personal choices, as like insecurity and neglect from the early childhood. So he never kind of knew what like normal life is, what normal interests are. And then he just got fixated on, well, whatever he was allowed to get fixated on. But yeah, there was a lot of latchkey kids that didn't do that. So, you know. Now, Murderpedia had uh, this attachment of, like, this fucking, actually, you know, scientifically written article. They're just like, yeah, this is everything that's wrong with Jeffrey. So it says, like, the substance dependence mixed with paraphilias, 
possibly Asperger's disorder, depression, disordered personality, social skills deficits, it's literally like everything wrong you can think about on earth, just mixed together, and like enhanced mental health issues, it's like, yep, that's everything that's wrong with him. So yeah, in the case of Jeffrey, it can really not be just one thing. Mm, no, Jeffrey was not basic, guys. So at his trial now, Dr. Palermo actually, obviously, again, everybody wanted to dig at this guy. So he said, like, he doesn't have any of the symptoms of a necrophile. So he's not technically a necrophiliac. He killed the man because he wanted to kill the source of his homosexual attraction to them. And in killing them, he killed what he hated in himself. So that kind of can explain why he was like this product killer. And he says like, yeah, Domer killed to keep the potential victim silent. And because they would obviously be like angry with him if they were to wake up. And then this doctor, this is like, cool, I agree with you, sir. Yes, professor. But like paraphilia is not something that you choose. So he said, we cannot choose what we find sexy. Sex is not the word I would have used at the trial, but sure, sure, mate. <laughs> but he also says, like, paraphilia... Paraphilia... Paraphilia provides no more than a motive for what a person would like to do. If you say paraphi- paraphils are compelled, then you have to say that we are all compelled to do what we want. Which kind of is like, yep, okay, yes, let's say you have a kink, right? If you do that kink, cool, you're still doing that shit. Like, yeah, you're compelled to do it, but then you kind of, well, have to control yourself and have, like, a willing person to do it with. Otherwise, it's rape. Yeah, that on, like, another level, but yeah. Then they said, like, a lot of other things. Like, yeah, he was not a sadist because he wasn't into torture them. He actually took steps to prevent people from suffering. So, as a breakdown, you can think that, yes, he was a paraphiliac, and, yep, he had all these fixations that he had to comply to. Or that he was sexual sadist, where, they're, like, he would get off on its sexual excitement from, like, the psychological or the physical suffering of the victims. Which, he's not a fucking toy box killer, okay? So, not really onto this one. Necrophilia... Which doesn't fully comply here, because he would, well, dismember the bodies and then do things with them, so... Mm-hmm, so the lines are so thin. And then there's the delusions. So was he fully present as and when he was doing everything, you know, putting acid into people's brains? Was he fully present during that time? I mean, in summary, it's uh, the fixation that he has had since his childhood, that has never been treated, never been looked into, that has been escalated, then obviously kind of lined up with shit ton of mental health issues, and just the society just never preventing it, allowing it to happen. How many, like, social security people could have prevented it? Probation officer, military, like, how many points he's dead to begin with, since the childhood, there were plenty of times for somebody to be like, let's hospitalize Jeff, yeah? Let's just put him to, to chill a bit and to like change his interest and then introduce him to other hobbies. Nope. But yeah, it's now 9.45pm and I'm probably not gonna sleep tonight. Probably gonna <laughs> have fucking dreams about this. So this is great. Let me know what you think about this case. Why do you think Jeff did what he did? Which one is like the primary motive? Which one is the it without which none of this would have happened for you. Well, that was a rollercoaster, wasn't it? You could just hear the life ex- exit my soul. You could just see, like, the years 
that I have lost the part of my body. I was like, started all excited and then it just went like, fuck me, how many people can you kill and desecrate? Like, mate, get better hobbies, people. I tell you every fucking time, or just get a hobby in general. It's like, if you are committed to every single thing, you can't, you know, need your life work balance. You, you need it. So I had a mini story prepared for this week and I just have it in front of me and I can't. I just genuinely can't do it. Listen, we didn't have Maya's personal recommendations corner in a while and this is the perfect opportunity for me to actually connect to people on some level. If you're still with me. Because I genuinely wouldn't blame you after this fucking episode. Also, love how I say, like, you're gonna connect to me on a personal level, but it's truly just me sharing true crime content that I have been pinching on. It's like, yeah, you make out of that whatever you wish. <laughs> so, let's go. I have a list because I'm a fucking list lover. It also reminds me of a super fucking sad story. When I met, like, as a teenager with this person who, well, at the time was sort of a friend... <laughs> You can just tell how much of a friend she was by the way that I was sharing information with her. And then I was like, hey, so this happened since we last met this and this. And she was like, you just had a list and came with a list. And like, it was like, yeah, these are the topics. I was like, yes, yes, I did. Like, what's wrong with that? <laughs> and there was just awkward radio silence for the rest of the conversations. I was like, why are we? Why would we do this? Why do I meet up with you? And it was funny because like, I actually was okay with her like it's not like oh we didn't have topics to fly with i'm just i just love lists okay this is the relationship i'm imposing here as well i like i love you guys i love you listening to me but i also just have to go through a list so podcast wise i listen to well all of the old podcasts that i did listen to at the beginning of this so there's nothing like new and super like cool and deep to explore, except I discovered this Canadian podcast and it's called The Spooky Hour. And it's two girls and like immediately stopped everything, bitched on it. So <laughs> it's these two like really chill girls and they just cover, it's kind of like, um, and that's why we drink, where one covers like paranormal thing during the episodes so something like paranormal haunting, all of that. And then the other one covers a true crime story. And I find it fascinating because... As somebody who like has tons and tons of cases just because of how much shit I listen to, literally stuck in my head, it's actually refreshing listening to two girls that don't have as much like knowledge about true crime. So it's kind of like just telling you the story in a really simplified, easy to understand way and not presuming that, well, everybody knows everything kind of like I fucking do in this. Yeah, I'm great though. I'm great. <laughs> But yeah, the spooky hour. It's fun. It's just like very easy to understand and very like easily broken down. But yeah, also like informative and fun. And I like it. I like that approach. Mm, and then thanks to Spotify charts. <laughs> Me sucking up to Spotify for one day. <laughs> for one day. I discover like now in different languages because I really like listening to the Spanish ones to kind of try to keep on top of knowing some Spanish in general. So again, the thing that I stopped every other podcast and catching up on everything for was Historias Perdidas. His voice is just so fucking amazing. It's Leon Krautzer or whatever his name is. But yeah, his voice, his narration, I think like he had like some experience in radio and stuff. It's just the way that he narrates stories, plus it's in Spanish, plus it's like really concise. He's like, he fits all of the fucking details in 20 minutes. Again, a skill I don't have. Yeah, this is great. This was great, Maya. <laughs> Let's just discuss for 20 minutes all the skills and improvements that you need to fucking implement. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, let's just bomb myself out at the end of my own fucking episodes. But yeah, Historias Perdidas. It's in Spanish. I mean, don't know if I mentioned that, but yeah. And now on to books. Okay, when it comes to podcasts, like, I find it really easy to discover them, obviously, because of, like, the charts everywhere, and then there's, like, different ones, and then I look at different countries and all of that stuff. Plus, being on Twitter, like, people actually give each other shout-outs, and it's, like, nice little community, so everybody kind of, you know, allows each other to discover all of these, like, hundreds and hundreds of podcasts, which, yeah, I welcome and love and adore <laughs> But I'm also really into audiobooks, not just books in general, but quite recently, for about a year now, really into audiobooks, just again, because I love background noise, I can't sit in silence, I'm a psycho. Anyways, <laughs> the thoughts that I get when I sit in silence are not okay, they're not normal thoughts. Okay, just kidding, that sounds like... <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds sad. That sounds like I have some killer thoughts. No, I don't, but anyways, okay. This is going great, my list is going great. So in terms of audiobooks, I kind of need your help. I want to know your recommendations because I'm finally on the trail where I'm like actually reading like the bestsellers or like the good true crime books that people keep recommending. You know, they keep being like on all of these bestselling lists of like, yeah, true crime cases because they're based on like heavy hitters so like Ted Bundy, Golden State Killer. So I am finally reading I'll Be Gone in the Dark, and I love it. I love Michelle's style of writing. It's so fucking impeccable. It's truly refreshing, and it's covering every case in the area, but like in this journal writing style that you don't get when you just listen to podcasts. And she spent years, years being after this guy, following every news article. I'm just like, damn, this is commitment. Mm. So yeah, that one I would really recommend. Uh, also read, um, listened to recently, because I love their voices, to, you know, the last podcast on the left, guys. <laughs> Look how I'm giving them a shout out, like, it shouldn't work the other way around, because they're, like, big. They're, like, the biggest. But yeah, last book on the left is really great, covers 10 serial killers in as much research that they have done and it's just yeah they cover Domer as well I can never do it as much justice as them again what is this my is it just going to get to giving digs to yourself being like yeah I mean I can do research but not as these people <laughs> go listen to them what the fuck is the point of this section Okay, and finally, <laughs> it's like, just ignore that bit, ignore that bit. And finally, I am, uh, I have been also listening to Mindhunter. So John Douglas, well, the book that the, the show is based about. Because, as you might know, I do believe in profiling. People in the UK don't, and people who never watch Criminal Minds don't either. But yeah, I kind of, yeah, believe that there is something there. Spotting patterns, all of that. This is what I put in my minisodes. So, you, you get it, I believe in it. And it's nice to hear that, yeah, even, like, John Douglas, even, like, you know, FBI agents, they're like, yeah, this is not as clear-cut, it just helps the case. You know, I am not saying that every single bit is going to be exactly correct, it just kind of gives you the rough outline of who we are looking for, what we are looking for. But then again, it reminds me, there was this Spanish girl in my Masters in Criminology, and this bitch genuinely thought that I don't understand how people invest this much money into, like, studies. And then, without reading, without actually acknowledging what the course is going to be about. So she just joined it. She just genuinely thought it's going to be, like, profiling. It's going to be, like, criminal minds. <laughs> and she's going to learn how to profile a person. And then she was just disappointed for the whole year. I just don't understand. <laughs> so, yeah, don't go into the extremes. 
Wow, wasn't that a great bonding experience that you all wanted me just giving you a list of things to watch and listen to? But yeah, I want to know your opinions, okay? That's the way. I know this is a podcast and it kind of seems like it works one way, but no, it does not, okay? You, you can email me at podbam at gmail.com or just hit me up on every socials, that bam pod everywhere from Patreon to Twitter to Instagram. Woo, I'm everywhere. YouTube now as well, as you could hear. So I want to know your thoughts and on and in terms of audiobooks and books I actually really need recommendations because I kind of fly through these things and then I'm like what's next what's next I need another hooked bird like I need another thing to be hooked on but yeah that was nice for me for a change <laughs> in terms of I've done the research I just refused to read it for you it was nice for me because these t- cases can take it out of you they can really fucking take it out of you to the point that I'm actually having a break like about a week from now don't worry you're still gonna get your episode you're still gonna get a minute don't you chill the fuck that chill this is why i make extra content so i can actually have some time off from researching true crime it's gonna be super hard for me because i'm like what do you mean like for a week you don't research at all like you don't research a single case for a week how do you do that yeah i need to chill because these cases can eat out of your soul especially heavy hitters especially this bitch that i spoke about today but now, oh my god, I held you for so long. It's like literally you just wasted an hour and a half of what of your work shift. I bet it's your work shift. I bet I'm that person that you listen to in the background at work. And you're like, I'm sorry, I just wasn't super productive for like an hour and a half today. <laughs> this speech usually takes about 40 minutes of my time, but today she's fucking decided to bum me out. But yeah, I'm here now. I'm joining now. Okay, so the other day I was typing into my notes a Glassdoor review for a company that I will publish eventually. This is great. It's not like some of the people at the company listen to this podcast. Well, if you made it here by now, congrats. You're getting the inside scoop before the review is published. Congratulations. And I take these things seriously, okay? I have like a complete overview of like my experience working for them, etc., etc. You know, I try to be like as realistic as possible. And like, these were the pros and these were the cons. And if you are the OG listener, you know that around January time, I was quite bummed up. I was quite down. I was just like, yeah, this podcast is quite literally here for my survival technique. So when I sat down and took like the actual overview of like all of my time in that company, I was like, yeah, there was like this period when I had such a low period. Like my mental health was shit. Like I was properly, you know... I told you I went to a silent meditation retreat in November. It was probably like depressive motherfucking period that I couldn't pull myself out of. I was like, this is where I'm at. I'm just stuck. And I realized throughout that whole period, every single person in the company just didn't know how to deal with me. They just didn't know how to have uncomfortable conversations or they would rather not to because, (laughs) you know, it's all great once you're all happy. It's like, oh, Maya's jokes. Yeah, she's like super funny and great. And then when Maya's bummed out, what are we going to do about this? Well, let's just ignore the bitch for like until she gets back up. And well, I just wasn't getting back up, was I? Point being, have uncomfortable conversations with the people and treat mental health fucking seriously in your company. So if you see somebody suddenly com- change behavior completely, be that person that actually goes to them and be like, what the fuck is up? Come on, let's have a chat. Let's talk. Let's not ignore this. And be the fair weather company. You know how you have fair weather friends? You would have fair weather companies as well because they're like, oh my God, this is so great. Whilst you are like all happy and excited about the company. And then when you're not, they're like, huh, who? Maya who? Especially during this period of time. Like the other day, 
this friend that like she went kind of off on holiday and I was like oh my god you're back this is so great <laughs> all that super excitement cyber seeing you just being on slack great stuff and then I was like where were you like did you have fun like you know was it holiday like you know did you go to some exotic location she was like no it was a covid related funeral and I was like okay you know, I could have stopped there and be like, <laughs> great, sorry to hear that, let's go back to work. Nope. I was like, listen, I know we're not friends, <laughs> as in, I know we're just work friends, but if you want to talk, it's fine. I don't mind having an uncomfortable conversation. Let's get you on chat, let's do FaceTime, let's do Slack video, whatever it is, let's do it. If you think it will help you, let's jump on it. And she was kind of appreciative of that because she didn't want to do it, but just at least offer it to people. Just have to have that option to just have an uncomfortable conversation. It's not that hard. Also, you might actually come out of that a better person. You might actually understand your colleague for a change and not just have a small talk about weather with them. Your next lunch talk with that person is going to have more topics to discuss. Or at best, you might actually save somebody's life because if they are actually depressed that you might actually be able to get them to get help. So, don't be a fair weather colleague, is all I'm saying, as the ending of this fucking episode. Profile those bitches like they're criminals, okay? Profile your colleagues, profile how they behave, how they used to, a week ago, yesterday, now, and has this changed? Has it changed drastically? Intervene. Let's do it. You know how it goes. Let's save the world one motive at a time. The saying is actually, let's make a world a better place, but wait, this episode was long. Just do that. Just do that for, for me, okay? Notice your fucking surroundings. Yeah, the background noise is all fun. But then kind of just be present with people. And okay? just notice. Are they, are they depressed? Hmm, maybe you should help them out. Hmm, maybe. But yeah, until then, hasta la vista, fuckers.